0: Right, we're now second week of our mini-series on what does grace look like so it might not do if I find my notes right last week Sam introduced it and his introduction was with 20 questions parents can't answer I don't know what your response if you are here when you heard them some of them I thought mm, yeah those are a bit difficult to answer and others I thought yeah I could have a stab at that one Now, obviously, for those who don't know me so well, uh, in the days when I was paid to do something, I was a physics teacher. And so, the one on why is the sky blue? Yeah, I thought, that's an easy one. That's one my pupils always ask me. I don't know why, because I always gave them the same answer, and they still ask me about a year later why is the sky blue. So, I don't know if the answer always works. But, it's possible to give a fairly basic answer relatively easily. If you want to know a more detailed answer, you need to understand a bit of wave theory. But even so, it's not too difficult to explain. But the reason it's not too difficult to explain is because it's not fundamental. You can explain it because you're explaining it in terms of other things which people know about. So you'd have to talk a bit about the fact that the light coming from the sun is a mixture of colours, and you'd have to say something like the blue light doesn't come in a straight line, but for reasons which is where the wave theory comes in, it zigzags through the atmosphere and so comes at us in all directions, while the other light just comes straight through. You know, so that's a fairly basic answer, but you can go in more detail. However, the questions which are difficult to answer are the ones which are really fundamental and basic. And actually, I thought Eva's question was very good, because the question wasn't, what is grace? It was, what does grace look like? And actually, if you're dealing with things which are fundamental, it is very difficult to actually give an answer which has any meaning. Because either you give an answer which is too abstract, which is true, but difficult to apply, or it's an answer which is uh, sort of a bit trivial. So, example, I saw an advertisement several years ago in the newspapers which had that equation in it. Now, I don't know if it means anything to you, it was actually an advertisement for transcendental meditation, believe it or not. And basically the person was saying that this equation explains everything in the universe. Which I'm not quite sure, I think it's pushing it a bit far. You've probably come across it uh, in school it's called the uh, Law of Conservation of Energy. Basically what it says is that if you add together all the changes in energy, you get nothing. Or sometimes it's uh, oversimplified too, is that you can't create or destroy energy. All you can do is change it from one type to another. But if you put it in symbol form, that ends up looking like that. Which is true, but actually is not always helpful in some ways, but actually, really, what it's doing is telling you what can't happen necessarily rather than what necessarily can happen. It's saying you can't get anything happening if you're creating energy in the change, or you're destroying energy in the change. But it doesn't necessarily say which changes can happen. Because after all, you put hot water into the tank of your car, it's not going to go forward very fast. There might be lots of energy in that hot water, but it's not telling you that that one would work. Petrol, diesel, yes. Hot water, no. So it's not necessarily that helpful. And I think when we come to grace, grace is one of these things which is fundamental and therefore difficult to explain. But we can often see the results of it. It's a bit like if you talk about love. Try defining love. And it's pretty difficult. But you can see if one person loves somebody else, how it changes them. You can see what they do as a result of it. And I think that is often what we can do with grace, is that we can see what happens by the result. And as materialistic, based on the physical universe answer, is not really that helpful. Those who are my sort of age might remember the classic joke from the uh, Soviet encyclopedia of the 1960s, which was determinedly materialistic. And it gave a definition of a kiss. A kiss is the coming together of two lips, two pairs of lips rather, and the mutual exchange of air and bacteria. (laughs) Now, when you look at it, there's nothing wrong with the definition itself. There's nothing which isn't true about it, but you somehow think it's missing the point. So, what can... Um, had you heard of that one before? No, oh, it was one of my favourites. Uh, most of it, I think, was a bit more dreary, but it does show the limitations of a materialistic approach to life. Now last week Sam was talking about grace in terms of identity in terms of the way through grace we are forgiven, we have acceptance and we have God's presence and what he said i would be talking about today is more to do with grace and walking with God how does grace affect us in our day-to-day lives? I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 to 14. So this is Paul's letter to one of his co-workers, Titus. Now, actually, at the beginning of the chapter 2, he tells Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then at verse 11, he says this, "...for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people." Now, when we look at what Paul is saying here about how grace affects us in our day-to-day lives, I think the first thing we can pick out from it is it's bookended in time. We look backwards to the cross and the resurrection. Grace has come in Jesus. He has died taking the penalty for our sin, he's risen, given us new life. So we look back to that. But we also look forward to his coming again in glory. So we are in this in-between time, living our lives, but Jesus is going to come in glory to complete what he's already started in us. But we are living in this period now. How we do it, Paul talks about in earlier in chapter 2, and you'll need to go and read that for yourselves, in, from verses 2 to 10, where he talks about different groups of people, how you apply the grace God has given us in day-to-day life. Verses 11 to 14, he's talking about why we do it. The first thing he tells us in verse 12 that grace does is it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives. So there's two things in the way grace teaches us there's a negative in avoiding that which is ungodly, and then there's the positive in being self-controlled, upright, and godly in our lives. So it's keeping us from doing things, it's helping us to do what we should do. Now I deliberately mentioned at the beginning that professionally I was paid as a teacher. When I went self-employed, I did quite a bit of tutoring, and I still do the occasional bit of tutoring. Now when particularly when you're sort of tutoring one-on-one, it only really works if somebody has a go. I find it very difficult, if I'm tutoring, if somebody says, I can't do it, full stop. Now sometimes I can go back a stage and get to the point where they can actually have a go. But really, what I need, if I'm tutoring somebody, is for them to have a go, And for me to see where they go wrong. Because then I can help them. It might be that they've gone wrong because they've ignored what they've been taught. And for us, that is sometimes when we are ungodly, when we sin, we do it deliberately ignoring what we've been taught. And if you don't take on board what you and ignore it, it's not much you can do. It comes back to us at that point. Many, many decades ago, when I was teaching some year eights, and I was doing energy, which is that topic, Uh, no, I was doing forces actually, and I was doing a lesson on the difference, from a physics point of view, between mass and weight. I had a pupil who refused to believe me that mass and weight were different as far as physicists were concerned. And the basis of that was her primary school teacher had told her that mass and weight were the same. And it was clear from the way she spoke to me that she much preferred her primary school teacher to me. And it was fairly clear who she was going to believe in it. But the same thing can apply to us. Are we going to listen to what God tells us? Or are we going to stick with what we've heard, maybe from somebody we like, maybe even from a Christian we like, rather than listening to what God is actually saying? It's one of these things, when I was preparing this, you know, It really struck me because it's easy, it's one of these things you can easily see how other people do these things. It really hits home when you start thinking, well, actually, I do it as well. So it's not an, you know, I'm uh, not something I don't experience as well. But we can choose to hear. Other times, when we don't get things right, it's because of misunderstanding. We haven't quite understood things correctly. But often, in living things out and growing, the way, one of the main ways we grow is by giving, trying it, see what happens, and if we get it wrong, we then have to go back and say, well, why did I get that wrong? What do I need to change? This is one reason why we really need one another in a church... ...rather than trying to live our Christian lives on our own. Because we are very good at deceiving ourselves. Uh, I think, was it uh, one of the Anglican services? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I think in one of their uh, uh, prayers. You know, we can easily deceive ourselves. So being with other people who can actually gently point out to us and sometimes it has to be a bit... If, certainly, if you're trying to point out something wrong with me, you need to be blunt about it rather than gentle. Because if you're gentle about it, it I don't really pay much attention. But sometimes, you no, know, we need friends who, when it is necessary, and only when it's necessary, who are willing to be blunt with us about where we are seeing things incorrectly. So, grace teaches us. It's not, it's important that we understand that our salvation comes from grace. It's something we don't deserve. It's a gift from God. But, God does expect us to grow in what he has given us. And that means, at times, we, go, we get things wrong. I won't uh, spend much time on it but in Romans chapter 6 you have Paul develops a whole part, large part of that to people who think that because our sins are forgiven because of Jesus' death and resurrection therefore and nothing we can do about it well because grace comes in and we're forgiven well maybe I ought to keep sinning more so I get more forgiveness and he deals with why that actually just doesn't work. But too much for me to go into now there. Also, what I've just said it could seem hard and difficult if it's dependent on us to do everything. But by grace we are also enabled to do what God calls us to do. We can't do it in our own strength. But Jesus through his Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do that. So we find in verse 14. He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. So this is something which Jesus does in us, in helping to purify out that which is bad, that which is sinful, but also making us people who are to desire to do what is right, to desire to do good works. And if you're not aware of both of those things happening in your life all the time Think, need to ask that God will reveal to you what you need to do because the difficult thing in a sense about dealing with ungodliness is that we never get there in this life Sometimes it's because that we have persistent sins which keep coming back. And there we do need to ask, is there something I'm deliberately ignoring because I don't really want to hear what God's saying. Sometimes it's because when we deal with one thing God's shown us, we then become aware of the next something else. You know, God tends to deal with the sort of bigger things first. He doesn't lump everything on us in one go. But then you start finding things which didn't worry you in the past, start worrying you that actually that's not right. That's part of the Christian life. It's not that there's something wrong with you. It means that God is working through his grace in your life. And so we always have something we need to be working on. I don't think there's any Christian who hasn't. I think we can have the idea that Jesus went through his life on earth sort of wafting around, not affected by sin and temptation. The more you put sin to death in your life, the more you are aware of sin and temptation. So actually, if you think, you know, I find it hard dealing with temptation no, Jesus must have had it easy no it would have been harder for him because we always have a get out bit with temptation we can give in to it he didn't and if you think of when with temptation that sometimes sometimes with temptation you resist it and it goes other times with temptation you resist it and it seems to stay there and keep coming back and you have to resist it and so on But Jesus was aware of sin and temptation in ways, at depths, which we haven't even got close to. And yet he didn't. So he can understand, therefore, when we are tempted by sin, he understands what it's about. And he empowers us. But we look forward, as I said, to that final day. When he's going to return and he's going to complete in us what he's already doing. Because as Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Sometimes that's difficult because we can be aware of where we do sin. But we're to consider ourselves dead to sin. That is our old life; that's behind us. Raises its head every so often, needs to be bashed back down. But we consider ourselves dead to sin because that's what Jesus has done for us, and we're alive to God because that is our what we are already starting to experience in our new birth, and which will come to completion when Jesus returns which leads I think quite nicely into breaking bread because as I said it does that when we break bread we look back it reminds us that before his crucifixion Jesus broke bread it symbolizes his body broken for us his blood shed for us but it also looks forward because we're told to do this until he returns. So it's time limited. Jesus is returning. And he will then take us into the new heaven and the new earth. Where all the sin and corruption which we have to live with day by day has gone. So as we, do the, as we take the bread and drink the wine it encourages us to live holy lives now because it's reminding us this is what Jesus died for us.